This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. We have got an amazingly exciting show. Whoa, 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 whoa. What's wrong with that? Don't oversell it. Is that a hyperbole a little bit? I don't know. Okay. At the, it, someone listening may realize later that maybe it wasn't. I'm not sure. No, I thought it was... Undersell, over-deliver. I thought it was oversell... No. ...deliver. No. No. Okay. Well... Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Talk wow. about stress. Things went off the rails in the first 30 seconds. Maybe it's because Dr. Matt is not here. That can't be it. Maybe no. the show will be better. It usually goes off the rails when he's here. So, <laughs> Okay, so uh, it's par for the course then today. And uh, actually, it is kind of an exciting day here mm. at... What? It depends on your point of view. Go ahead. We'll talk. Okay. My goal uh the show is to get a sentence out Go ahead. without being wrong. Um no, I was sitting next I was sitting at my desk and I sit next to the conference room oh. and now it all makes sense why there were people in the con- conference room at 6:30 in the morning. Mm. It's signing day apparently here at at, at BYU. Yes. And everywhere else. The football team is signing 18-year-olds to paperwork that will commit them to play at this university. But allegedly. Uh, okay. The problem is this university has a unique aspect that all the 18-year-olds tend to leave on two-year church, you know, sponsored mission trips. Yeah. By the time they come back, they these that play want to play football, there's a there's a portion of them that change their mind. Or maybe, maybe they, they don't want to play. There's a portion of them that decide to go somewhere else to play. Maybe they gain a lot of weight on their there's mission. There's a portion of them that can't play. <laughs> they lose all physical ability. And so wow. there's a lot of a lot of anticipation, a lot of, you know, everyone's excited. But in the end, it's like how many people actually end up on the field? I don't know. Hmm. But, you know, it's a fun day. That's Because a... everyone goes, ooh, the 18-year-old linebacker from blah, blah, blah. You know, okay, great. <laughs> hmm. So I wonder if we'll get the next... Brett Favre, or I guess in this right. case, Steve Young. Right. Hmm. Or not. Maybe. It's it's an inaccurate science. There's a lot of excitement to it. Okay. But when you look at the end results, it's like, how many is this actually? Um, carrying a person from 18 years old to actually playing on the field, the percentage is, is small. But you have a lot to, can happen, yeah. You have to start somewhere. It gives a, the people an idea what their college football team is doing if they're interested in that. Because you want your team moving forward, and BYU needs to move forward. They right. need to improve and grow and see what kind of talent they can bring in. You know, the rule of thumb is if uh, don't don't hold or get your hopes up until you're actually on the field playing in a game. Yeah, maybe, maybe even then, it's all up in the air. Usually, <laughs> well, it's exciting so enough. Either way, they're taking an hour of our show today. That's what I was going to yeah. say. It's that exciting that they they deemed it necessary to. I don't want to say dock us an hour. No. Uh, if anything, we're donating them an hour. We're giving. We're so, a giving show. Seems like a very presidential so answer. Sport, Sports Nation begins at ten Eastern. Is that what it is? Uh, no, that would it's be 11, 11 Eastern. Eastern. They started 11 Eastern instead yeah. of noon. So just they move up an hour. They have a lot to cover today. They'll have guests. They'll have a lot of these kids that are signing today. They'll mm-hmm. be in the building, so they might be in their studio. So that's kind of interesting to see why they're making this big decision in their life. And that kind So of thing. We'll, get a, we'll catch a glimpse of these kids before they're famous. That's kind of an exciting uh, prospect. 
if they actually become famous. I guess. Yeah. That's a good point. Anyway, Terry, besides signing day, what else is going on around the rest of the country? So SpaceX launched a huge rocket yesterday. Hmm. It's first test flight carrying a red sports car on an endless road trip past Mars. Oh, cool. Yeah. The Falcon Heavy rocket rose Tuesday from the same Florida launching pad used by NASA nearly 50 years ago to send men to the moon. Uh, with the liftoff, the Heavy uh, Falcon, as they're calling it, became the most powerful rocket in use today. The three boosters and 27 engines roared to life at Kennedy Space Center. Thousands jammed surrounding beaches, bridges, and roads to watch the rocket go up. Uh, two of the boosters were recycled and programmed to return a, on a simultaneous touchdown at Cape Canaveral. The video is amazing to watch. The both rockets, in just total synchronization, just poof, land. You know that is cool. Seems like it'd be really tough to pull off instead too. of the other project, the other programs we had in the past with the space program, where they just dump it in the ocean and they have to go retrieve them. Yeah, these things just return and land. It's um, like my Roomba. It is. It docks itself. Isn't it's like, that amazing? It's like we can do this with the robot vacuum in your house. Now we can do it with <laughs> rockets from space. Uh, so they returned the third brand new uh, is set at sites on an ocean platform some 300 miles offshore. So they actually did it three times yesterday. Awesome. Which is crazy. They had a hard time doing it once for a while. It would land on the platform and tip over into the ocean and they had to go retrieve it. Hmm. Just trying to perfect it. SpaceX chief Elon Musk owns the rocket, uh, the rocketing Tesla Roadster, which is shooting off for a solar orbit that will reach all the way to Mars. So this... Whatever they put into orbit, the rocket with the the car on it will go around Mars and around the sun and just keep looping, I guess, huh. indefinitely until it crashes into something. They have uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in the glove box. Oh, that's so funny! And so, <laughs> it's playing it's playing space themed music. And so, how far stuff. out are we from being able to live on Mars? Would you say? Oh, hundreds of years. So, what Matt Damon did in The Martian is not really feasible right now. No. Darn I mean, it. they did it in the desert for the movie, so they, they yeah, you can do it there. <laughs> it's it's out there. We'll okay. see how we'll see how long right. it takes. I, I have my doubts because it seems very complicated, and I don't know. But I mean, people didn't think a guy with a bunch of money could just build a space program and start launching rockets either. Do you so. think people want to live on another planet, or do you feel like? Things are going de- they're going south here. Let's just move th- to another planet well, and ruin that one, people too. People have that sort of idea. I think <laughs> that's a lot why people are excited. But there's the idea, our, our push in the space program to get to the moon led to so many other technological advances. Mm-hmm. So many right. other just different inventions and different ideas that that kind of innovation would push us forward to get to Mars. All the things we'd learn from that, we could apply to things here on Earth. Hmm. Maybe maybe people that uh, work that worked on getting to the moon and have already done it are worried about job security. Let's I think lo- let's I think look busy. Could let's be. work on something. The heavies intended for massive satellites like those used by the U.S. military, major communications companies. Even before the test flight, customers were already signed up wow. to get their satellites to space. So they have uh, mm. faith in the program. On Tuesday evening, the House passed a six-week stopgap bill that would increase Pentagon spending over the next eight months while keeping funding the same for non-defense programs. The vote was mostly along party lines, 245 to 128, or 182. It's likely this will fail in the Senate, where Democrats uh, want spending increases to be equal across the board. 
So the House passed a bill to try to keep us from shutting down the government on Thursday night, and the Senate will likely today say, uh, no, strike it down. Ah. They will add their own ideas to a bill and send it back to the House, and then this game of hot potato will run out on Thursday with the House holding the bill from the Senate and then deciding whether they want to shut down the government or vote for the bill for six weeks. It never ends. And there's always like a little bit of sweetener something tacked on that somebody doesn't like, either defense spending, domestic spending, something. And then they fight over it. It's so it's so funny because you you have to throw in something for everybody to the point where really nobody's happy about it in the end. Yeah, but that's you know the art of compromise, right? I guess so. Everyone loses. Everyone feels better about themselves. I don't know. So Senate <laughs> Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and Senate Minority Minority Leader Chuck Schumer have been holding frequent budget talks. McConnell says he thinks we're on the way to getting an agreement and getting it very soon. Earlier in the day, President Trump said Republicans can get a budget deal that tightens immigration laws, or, or Republicans can, if Republicans can't get a budget deal that tightens immigration laws, he would love to see a shutdown. Interesting. The White House had to walk those comments back later in the day because obviously nobody wants a shutdown, except for the guy who verbally said he wants a shutdown. I was I was thinking about this on the way to work today. Is it unreasonable for him to want to throw that into this? The immigration uh, stuff again? Yes. No, not, do other, not I mean, when his party is trying to separate it. I mean, do are, have there been other presidents that have used similar tactics? Is this unusual? I don't know. Whenever they – nothing – I don't know anything specifically, but whenever they're trying to do a deal that is quote-unquote bipartisan, mm-hmm. somebody's tossing in something to try to get it through. Yeah. But other people may toss something in. They call like you know they give it the the term the poison pill. We're just going to kill the deal by tossing this in. And some ah. people feel that this immigration fight needs to be separate because it's so contentious. Even within different parties, they can't agree. And the Republicans in the House and the Senate have been trying to separate it from a spending bill to keep the the country open. And yesterday, the president just tosses it back into the spending bill discussion with his shutdown or immigration or shutdown comments. It's like that yard sale analogy. Oh, I'll take that lawnmower. And uh, can you throw in uh, the the entire series of friends while you're at it? Right. It's like, wait a minute. Those are two different things. But they, Interesting. They try to do that. So, in an effort to provide a meal relief to Puerto Rico in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria, the Federal Emergency Management Agency gave 156 million dollars uh, in a government contract for three or what thirty thousand meals, and only fifty thousand. So thirty. Actually, right. So they gave 156 million. A one hundred fifty-six million dollar government contract for thirty million meals, and only mm-hmm. fifty thousand made it to the island. So the the thirty million meals. 50,000 actually made Was this it. just a small-time contractor that couldn't yeah. fulfill that so order or something? According to the New York Times, FEMA enlisted Tiffany Brown, an entrepreneur with no experience in large-scale disaster oh, relief, no. and at least five canceled government contracts of her own to, to provide the meal relief. She hired a wedding caterer in Atlanta with a staff of 11 uh, to uh, freeze-dry meals that were sent separately from the self-heating containers that were mandated in her contract. Do not ship another meal. Your contract has been terminated, FEMA told her in a a letter. This is a logistical nightmare. This comes after FEMA's growing scrutiny for its handling of the Hurricane Maria relief. So they hired a woman by herself, gave her $156 million. Oh, my goodness. She's supposed to supply 30 million meals. She supplied 50,000. She hired a catering company in Atlanta who normally does weddings to – Somehow make 30 million meals, and they, they couldn't do it. So. 
It's sad because, you know, you, you've got to start somewhere, right? Not with one person. Wow. Maybe you hire no, I just mean craft. As someone the, who makes food. <laughs> as the one person, because I, I have a, a business where I'm the one person, yeah. and you'd like to think that people would give you a chance and that you, you need to start somewhere, right? But uh, yeah, that seems but, like a bit much. This also happened with a power company up mm-hmm. in uh, Montana. They, had, they were a small company. They got a big contract. They tried to hire up people real quick, and then they just had shoddy work, I guess, and then the contracts were canceled. Were they just trying to get a good deal or something? I don't know. It just ends up that FEMA has a couple times now hired really small firms to do <sighs> really big jobs, and you don't have the infrastructure or the experience to do it, and they failed. And then, again, it's great. You're, I guess you're trying to give small businesses a shot, but the problem is Puerto Rico still suffers. Yeah, they need those meals. Yeah. Holy so, cow. We'll watch that as it mm. keeps going. Finally, Game of Thrones showrunners David uh, Beanoff and D.B. Weiss are slated to write and produce a new series of Star Wars films. The franchise announced Tuesday, according to a release statement, the new films will be separate from the Skywalker saga and from the upcoming trilogy to be developed by The Last Jedi director, Ryan Johnson. Okay, that was my question, because I read this and I thought, oh, what happened to Ryan Johnson? Benioff and Weiss in a joint statement said we were honored by the opportunity, a little terrified by the responsibility, and so excited to get started as soon as the final Game of Thrones is complete. No tentative release date. So here's the question. You already have the the ongoing Skywalker family dramas that are happening, right? And then the off years of those, you have these other stories. Sure. Once the current trilogy is done there's one more is that one with the Skywalker? more yep. so one more with the first three here then this ryan johnson guy who just did the last jedi is going to have another set of three which and then i think of, infuriates a lot of people right. because a lot of people did not like the last jedi and then these, i'm not one of those people and then these game of thrones writers are going to come in and do their own separate star wars stories yeah is there too much star wars um as long as the money rolls in the answer would be no. I I would no for you. Uh, for me, is it too much? I mean, I you, think so. I think so. I mean, part of the appeal of the first three for mm-hmm. me was that it happened when I was a little kid. Yeah, for the most part, I was under ten by the time the last one. Came. I was ten or twelve the last time the Return of the Jedi came out. Yeah, and then there was almost a decade, and then they did the the original what they call the, the second trilogy. The what do they call those? Prequels. The prequels. Yes. There you go. So they bring out the prequels. You get those three. And then there was a long time until they did the next three. So the time made the movies more appealing because you wanted to finally see it. Now they're just going to inundate you with them. Does that ruin I, the it experience? Can, it could. It could. I think there are some smart filmmakers and TV makers who know that it's it's probably better to get out while you're ahead. Yeah. Jerry Seinfeld is one of them. His mm-hmm. show could have kept going for years, and he decided, I'm just going to stop. Uh, Christopher Nolan decided he was going to stop after the trilogy. Um, and and the ba- I think the Batman trilogy, I yeah. think they're stronger and better stories for it. I don't know. But we'll when have you to see. when now, of course, full full disclosure, I'll see every one of them. Of course, and enjoy yeah. them. But yeah, I think yeah. there'd just be a point where people are like, okay, this is too much. You're already starting to see that with all the superhero movies. Yeah, people, you start hearing more and more people complain, like, oh, they're the same movie over and over again. Well, I think it's I'm wrong. Like, no, that guy had a blaster, and that guy had a shield, and that guy <laughs> had a hammer. They're different movies. <laughs> I think it's best. It's better to start from. A, a place of I have an amazing story that I would like to tell. Mm-hmm. Let's tell it. Versus 
these movies are making a lot of money, so what can we cook up? You know? Which, unfortunately, is exactly what's happening with the superhero franchise, with the Star Wars franchise. Uh, Yeah. I think my my biggest question, though, about Disney hiring these Game of Thrones writers or showrunners, what what were they? They're both. Yeah. Um, I just hope, and I I doubt they would because it's Disney, but I kind of get worried. Like, are they just going to throw in, like, random... Nudity no. scenes and they can't. They won't do that because they want to keep it so that as many people as possible can see it. Mm-hmm. And once you drop an R rating on something, it limits the audience because there's just people that won't go, young kids won't go, and then you just yeah. really cut back. And Disney wants to maximize, so they're going to float think, in that PG thirteen area. I think this could really benefit theater goers because I, if we're honest, uh, those guys are really strong writers, right? Yeah. But I think it'll be a, a very interesting exercise for them to see if they can write a strong story without having to rely on some of that gratuitous sex and violence and all that sure. jazz. Right. Yeah. Okay. It probably has more to do with where the show's located rather I, than uh, – Sure. Because I've heard the books don't have all that content as much. Interesting. That's what's in the movies. Oh, so maybe I just need to listen they're, to the books. They're playing it up for HBO. I think we all we just need to circle back to the comment that you made that we're going to go see these movies. I'm going to be there. I just <laughs> I saw a lot of comments yesterday like, oh, wow, there's going to be more of these? Why can't they slow this down so we can enjoy it more and not, not just realize that there's going to be another one next year? It is kind of crazy that it seems like there's a Star Wars movie out more frequently than I change the filters in my house. For your furnace? Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. I never – I always go, oh, wait, the furnace. I kind of remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else we should uh, be wondering about? What do you think the actual danger of, t- of Tide Pods are? The, 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 we have this challenge of people eating laundry detergent, the Tide oh. detergent pods. I thought you were talking about like those little buttons that Amazon gives you that you can no. press to get more. So there's this – Challenge, It's. I think it's passed. I think it was just sort of a quick little social blip and it's moved on. But teenagers eating Tide Pods, getting what? sick, going to – you heard about this? I think I think this sounds a little familiar, but w- what? People challenging each other. You know, you had the what, the uh, the ice bucket challenge. Okay, that makes you challenge your friends. so much more sense There's than all this. sorts of different challenges that kind of come out of that concept of you do it and then you challenge your friend and then they do it and they challenge somebody else and you keep going. Well, it moved on to Tide detergent pods, and kids are just eating the pods. Well, it's not – it may be like thousands, not millions, right? So you're like, well, how big is this? What's – how how much of a concern should we have with this? Um, So as this says, mouth-watering laundry detergent pods that look like Willy Wonka's everlasting gobstoppers soon could be a thing of the past. A bill introduced in Albany, New York this week would ban tempting detergent packets in the state of New York and replace them with ones of uniform color, not attractive to children, and not easily permitted by a child, not permeated by a child's bite. So they'd make the plastic thicker and then they'd just be the white detergent instead of the multicolored thing that's in my basement. Cole, have you ever been tempted by one of these Tide Pads? Pods. I feel like I'm, I bear the responsibility. To represent the young people of America and say not all young people are eating detergent for fun. The answer uh, is no. I have okay. not been tempted. Thank there were you. 86 teens in the state of New York that were reportedly sick after chowing down on detergent pods the in January. The tasty looking multicolored. Yeah, yeah. They got mm-hmm. sick from eating soap? Well, it's a lot of soap. It's all 
very concentrated, concentrated soap. Yeah. No, I was being sarcastic. Yeah. No, it was um, – see, my thing is my kids don't <sighs> go in the laundry room, right? They have a, like a kid-proof container that they're in. Right. How are kids getting the pods? It sounds like there's a – maybe parents need to police the pods better? I don't know. Well, child-proofing wears off by the time you're 16 and old enough to be stupid on the okay. internet. Those are, <laughs> I mean, they're talking about little kids, too, that get uh, these, right? So it's poisonous that way. Once you get to a teenager, I, how do you counteract teenage stupidity? I just don't get this. It's, kids I, do all kinds of dumb things. So you could say stupidity. It, for, for, for me, my mind goes straight to – these kids are way too bored. These kids fully know that it's soap. Yes. It's not like they're, they're a, a baby thinks it's candy. That's why you childproof, put it up on a shelf, get it away, that kind of thing, right? The teenager knows what he's doing. Right. How do you, con- how do you stop that other than tell them not to do it? And they're like, I know it's soap. I know what I'm doing. I'm, and they get sick. This is just a, a good indicator that all the time that – and you know, I'm guilty of spending plenty of time on my phone. But all the time we spend on our phones – is not going to solve the boredom issue. We're still going to be bored, and then we're going to look for other ways to uh, alleviate the boredom. And I guess in this case, we're going to start eating soap. Blue and orange, swirly, tasty, gushy-looking N- Not tempting at all. Soap. I will never be tempted by soap ever since uh, I was administered soap as a child whenever I said or did something that was wrong. Anyway, when we return, we're going to be talking about uh, another thing that people do when they're they're bored. They turn to Facebook, right? Well, uh, when should we unfriend somebody on Facebook? Well, our guest, Alexis Elder, is going to talk to us all about it when we return. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You know, Cole, it just occurred to me that you and I are not Facebook friends yet. Are you even on Facebook? From time to time. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll try to add you and I'll see how what the response is. Um, you know, we all have overly political or opinionated friends on Facebook, or maybe we have friends that uh, share way too much about his or her children. Is it okay to unfriend people who don't have the same opinions as us? Is social media bringing us closer together, or is it tearing our friendships apart? Well, here to speak to us today is Alexis Elder. Uh, She's a professor of philosophy at the University of Minnesota Duluth, and she has a new book, Friendship, Robots, and Social Media, False Friends and Second Selves. And again, it's just hit the shelves. Alexis, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. Thank you for uh, including me. I'm really interested to talk to you about this and to hear more about your book because I I will admit I have been guilty of not unfriending people but but blocking uh posts from certain friends because mm-hmm. yeah they they may go off on these rants or they may post things that maybe I don't agree with and uh I I'm curious to know when is it when should we unfriend somebody? Is there an appropriate time to unfriend somebody? I think there is. Uh, and my thinking goes as follows. We, 
have reason to think uh, that we shouldn't live in echo chambers. Uh, we should, our, our lives are better when we are exposed to a variety of opinions. Um, and this is one of the beautiful things about social media is it lets us keep in touch with a wide range of people and not just sort of see the same handful of folks day to day. Uh, but I think if these are really going to be enriching, then they need to re be rewarding for everybody involved, and that means we need to uh, basically to be polite and to be kind to each other. And uh, as you, you know, some of your examples just listed showed, that isn't always the case. Some people can be a little bit tone deaf on social media or can uh, be overly invested in sharing their own opinions without inviting conversation, and that sort of thing tends to drive us apart. So I think if we want to use social media wisely and well, we need to think about what kinds of friendships we want to cultivate. Yeah, and it's so interesting because you have people, like you said, that are using social media as a platform for the point or issue that they want to get across. But it also seems like people are posting things that they would never say to one of their real friends face-to-face. -face. Why do you think mm -hmm. that is? Well, I think one of the things that we're seeing as we start looking at empirical data about how people use social media is sometimes it's easier to say something um, when you don't have to look them in the eye. Right. And uh, there are a number of uh, fairly uh, intelligent folks who have called this out as a concern, and, you know, I'm enough of a philosopher that when everybody says one thing, I have to start thinking about the opposite. So <laughs> I actually want to say a little bit in defense of that. I think that can be a nice thing when you have a little bit of space uh, to think over what you want to say. If, you're, if you have trouble voicing your opinion, it can actually be helpful to have a little bit of distance between you and your audience. Uh, but that doesn't remove the need to be kind and considerate and uh, friendly in your interactions. Yeah, it's interesting because you see this elsewhere, not just on social media. You see this when you're driving your car. For some reason, when people are in their cars, they feel safer. You know what? I didn't like what that person did. I'm going to flip them the bird or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, you know, give them an unfriendly look as they pass by. Uh -huh. I, I wonder why that is. I wonder why there's this barrier that people feel that that's there when they're in their cars that I'm safer to do this. Right. I don't know that we'll ever get a firm answer on that, but there's been some really interesting work done in uh, neuroscience recently that I've been looking at that suggests that at least some of our social responses are really closely tied to uh, some some fairly basic cues about, for example, looking at faces. So some folks in behavioral economics have run a series of really interesting experiments where it turns out people are much more generous when there's a smiley face on the computer wallpaper or uh, there's an emoji in the text. And I think that sort of runs both ways. We can uh, sort of dial up the empathy unconsciously when there's a face present or when we feel like there's someone else with us. But when that's not present to stimulate the appropriate social responses, we need to be a little bit more mindful. Are there any tips you can give us? Because we've, we've talked about some examples of people posting things that maybe we don't agree with or they're hot topics. How do we know when we should respond to what this person is saying versus, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to sit this one out? And what are, the, what are some of the positives and negatives of doing either one? Well, I think these are excellent questions. Uh, I think one of the reasons we keep coming back to them is there aren't any uh, easy answers. 
But <laughs> I think there are some guidelines that we can uh, look to. And the two big ones for me are what kinds of friendships do I want to have and what kind of person do I want to be? So, uh, you know, imagine that someone says something uh, that you disagree with and uh, you think is, in fact, unethical. You have a few options. You can uh, say to yourself, well, you know, that person's having a bad day. I'm going to let them uh, sort of vent and come back when they're feeling better. Mm -hmm. That might be a a sort of kind uh, thing to do. Uh, You might uh, say, hey, that didn't sound very nice. Did you mean to be quite that (laughs) abrasive? Yeah. Um, Or you might say that person really doesn't seem like someone I want to stay connected to. And notice none of these uh, are based on uh, agreement on every point. You can have, you can think people are uh, excellent people, even though you disagree on politics, on child rearing, on uh, diet, on, you know, lots of sort of lifestyle issues. But I think character matters. And that, that comes out of the philosophical tradition I work in is this idea that um, you want to be a good person and you want your friends to be good people. And figuring out in the moment which of those is important is complicated and explains why these are such hard questions. But asking yourself which of these is most consistent with the person I know is, I think, an important step. Yes. So that's, that's the first part is the sort of um, what is this person, how do I judge this person to be, and what kind of interaction do I think is good for the friendship? Um, and then another point, I think, is what kind of person do I want to be? So... Uh, I think it's important, for example, that we be courageous, and when we see people um, acting badly, that we not be uh, so so concerned with keeping the peace that we look the other way while people are abusive or, um, you know, otherwise unethical. So I think that can be a concern sometimes when people, you know, just ignore their sort of uh, cranky social media contact and don't respond and go, "Hey, that wasn't that wasn't nice." Yeah. Um, but at the same time. I don't think it's healthy uh, or appropriate to be combative. And if you find yourself being drawn into fight after fight after fight on social media, especially when, uh, as we've already talked about, it's it's easy to be a little um, less compassionate and less empathetic in these situations where you aren't face to face, then maybe that that factors in as well. You go, you know, I don't I don't want to become the kind of person who can't see something on Facebook without getting into a debate, maybe I need to work on that. Yeah. And, it, you know, it seems, too, that uh, it's probably a good sign that maybe we don't continue to comment on somebody's issue that they've been talking about when you've tried to give them a respectful response to what to what their issue is, and they respond negatively or they mm-hmm. attack you back. That's probably a good place to stop. <laughs> Exactly. And that's not about the content of the disagreement. You know, maybe you're disagreeing about diet. Maybe you're disagreeing about which Star Wars movie is best. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But what matters is what kind of person you are, what kind of person they are, and what kind of relationship you think you can realistically have with them. Yeah. Again, we're speaking with Alexis Elder, who is a professor of philosophy at the University of Minnesota Duluth. We're talking about unfriending people on Facebook and, and social media in general. I'm curious to know, so how do you think we, – we kind of talked about some of the negative aspects of, of unfriending. I'm curious to know mm-hmm. in what ways can having these social media relationships or and, and how can social media help us develop our relationships? Sure, and this is one of those areas where I think 
the empirical data is really interesting. And, you know, I'm, I'm a concepts person all the way. I'm, you know, my head is in the clouds off in the philosophy department. But I love reading um, research by folks who are actually looking at social media users. And one of the really interesting distinctions that's come out uh, is that people's uh, life satisfaction tends to uh, vary depending not on whether they use social media, but on how they use it. So passive Facebook use, passive Instagram use, sort of scrolling and using this as a, a sort of news feed tends to make people uh, quite depressed. Mm. It tends to be associated with um, much lower satisfaction with your life and how it's going. And people who use it to engage and to interact uh, find a positive response. Their, their quality of life goes up. So I think there's a, an important lesson there. Back to the what kinds of friendships do we want, um, this seems to suggest that Social media can be a powerful tool for keeping in touch with people and not necessarily for, you know, deep sort of soul-bearing conversations, but just for sharing day-to-day bits of our lives, you know, whether it's, um, you know, a silly joke or a picture of the pup or, you know, whatever sort of enjoyable moments we have, those can be valuable to share with the people we care about. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think, yeah, I think that is a reason why a lot of people don't like Facebook or other social media sites is because they might go on and see, oh, this person just went to Europe. What am I doing with my life? You know, so it seems like there's more danger in Facebook and other other social media for the casual users, for those people right. that are just going through and scrolling to seeing what other people's posts are. It seems like there could be a real danger for them. Right. And the data suggests that uh, a large part of what's going on there is uh, people start getting more and more comparative, right? Oh, this person went to Europe and I didn't. This yeah. person went, uh, th- you know, this person uh, published an article and I didn't. This person has beautiful kids and, you know, I'm single. Whatever the sort of concerns might be, there's seeing a list of friends' accomplishments and being happy for them. And then there's using that, those uh, sort of high points of other people's lives to judge yourself more harshly. And I think it's important to figure out how to do the one without, while, while minimizing the other. Yeah. Alexis, talk to us a little bit more about what a real friendship looks like. Because I think about a lot of the people that I'm friends with, quote, on on Facebook or, or Twitter. And mm-hmm. I realize that, you know, there is so little that I know about most of these people. There are a handful of these people that I'm, that are genuinely you know, life friends that I could sit down in a living room and and just talk to them for hours. But so many of the others might not be considered as real friends. So talk to us about what a real friendship looks like. Sure. Uh, This is one area where I think it's really interesting to go back to ancient Greek philosophy, because it turns out that even though many of the details of their their circumstances were very different than what we face today, um, several philosophers were really interested in this question, what does it take to be a real friend? And that's what actually got me started uh, applying Aristotle to things like social media, is he's this you know, giant in Western philosophy, and his mature work on ethics, um, nearly a quarter of it is spent giving this very detailed account of friendship. He thought that was figuring out who your real friends are and what makes a friendship go well or badly was important to your ability to be a good person and live a good life. So his analysis is 
we use the word friend um, both very broadly and uh, very narrowly. So you might describe everybody that you're friends with on Facebook or everybody that you wave hi to on the street as being your friend. Um, but we also distinguish people we think of as being our real friends, right, our, our sort of closest and most intimate connections that we um, have lifelong, uh, inter, you know, lifelong relationships with. And his explanation for this is um, any friendship is going to involve some positive feelings and some reciprocity, and that's, that's important. And we find that in a variety of different relationships, everything from, you know, folks who wave hi to each other when they see each other to, um, you know, people who share their sort of darkest secrets and um, are stand by each other through thick and thin. Uh, but there's different sort of uh, different scope and depth to different relationships. In particular, um, most of our casual friendships are based on either mutual usefulness to each other or just taking a little bit of pleasure in each other's company. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. It's, it's not bad to be a casual friend to somebody, but there isn't a lot of substance behind it. That makes me, uh, I'm sorry, that just makes me feel a little guilty because (laughs) I will admit sometimes I do use Facebook like, oh, I need something from such and such a person. So I'll, I'll, that's when I'll go on Facebook. That's like the one time that I go on there. Right. And I think, you know, it's, it's easy to to be hard on yourself for that, but we're social animals and we have social needs. And I don't think um, it's bad to maintain this, this broad network of uh, loose connections. But the the so-called real friends, um, what Aristotle calls virtue friends, the people we care about just for who they are, and we we want them to do well, and we trust that they want us to do well, uh, come what may, those kinds of friendships, they they have some structural resemblances. They both involve you know reciprocity and um, warm feelings towards each other, like you find in these these looser kinds of friendships. But they're they're much richer, and they look like they're necessary for us to live the best lives possible. So. Aristotle's story on those those few close friendships, he says, um, they're uh, much less common than the other kinds of friendships uh, because, as he puts it, they need to be people you think are really good, and those people are rare. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> if you have them, um, what you do is you care about each other the same way you care about yourself. So in, in one way, and his, his term for this is the, such friends are other selves for us, and when we care about their lives the way we care about our own, then they're doing well is like us doing well, and it actually expands our capacity uh, to enjoy a good life. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious to know, and maybe I am I want to ask this question, and just let me know what you think. <laughs> sure. Um, so a lot of times we're blocking friends on Facebook or we're blocking posts on Facebook and I'm curious to know what that says about us. First of all, is that is that just like putting a Band-Aid on it instead of solving what the real issue is? And then also, are we worried that if we start to listen to their argument that it might change our opinion on the matter and it's not something we want to yield on? Right. I think, uh, I think that's an excellent question. And I think the, the short but unsatisfying answer is it depends. Uh, but that means that there's a good way to do it and a bad way to do it, right? Sure. So if what's happening is, um, you know, you have a friend or a coworker or a relative who says or posts, you know, says or shares things 
uh, online that you really think are not just, you know, like, hmm, that's a different point of view, but they're, they're, they're not good. You don't want to be associated with them. And you unfollow them. But in real life, you continue, and by real life, I mean face-to-face interactions. Sure. You continue as if everything was fine. That seems to me a little bit cowardly. Like, you're, you're overlooking hmm. uh, things this person has showed you about themselves that need attention. And that's where I think you start to run into the Band-Aid solution, is if you use social media to manage people in such a way that you avoid having the hard but necessary conversations, that's not good. Um, now, that isn't to say that you should always be confronting people because they did something you disagreed with. Right. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, we need to, to get along with folks uh, who are less than ideal, right? That's, that's part of being an adult. Uh, <laughs> but at the same time, I think it's, this, is a, the, this is why I think it's important to sort of uh, investigate your own motives um, and ask yourself, am, am I blocking this person um, because I'm afraid of confrontation or because I need to get along with them, sort of, you know, have an honest reckoning with yourself and check to see that it's consistent with your values. Yeah, and it's interesting because that, that idea is what I've actually been trying to apply uh, in the car when I drive. Back to this car analogy. I And I've never been one to, to go around flipping people off or, you know, giving people dirty looks or things like that. But I've just started to think, you know, what if this is... What if my neighbor is in front of me and he cut me off? Or what if it's somebody from my church or a friend or a coworker? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not going to give them that dirty look or or you know do something to indicate that you made me upset. I'm not going to do that to them and it could very well be one of them. So shouldn't right. I be acting the same way regardless of who it is? Right. Yeah. And I think that's that's the real litmus test is um, what kinds of relationships, relationships do I want to have online and off? Yeah. And how do my interactions online match uh, the overall picture of uh, a relationship that I have with this person? Because more and more we're finding, um, and I think in the early days of the Internet, there was this assumption that your online friends were uh, a different group of people than the folks you interacted with day to day. But that's just no longer true. Most of the people we know through social media are also people we interact with face-to-face in various capacities. And so I think we should avoid the temptation to sort of cordon ourselves off. Yeah. And then I think that leads to the, the, your, the other part of your question about um, what if you're worried that your opinions will change? And that, again, I think depends on the details of the situation. If you know that you're working on some aspect of yourself and you want to resist temptation, like maybe you're trying to be um, kinder or more compassionate and somebody tends to post a lot of snarky stuff that makes you laugh, but you feel like makes you... Yeah. Uh, you know, less compassionate as a person, then that factors in. Oh, that's such a great example, too, because I think that applies to a lot of people. You know, that it's not necessarily that this person is posting something that I don't agree with, or but it's it's something that is hindering my own growth. That's, right. oh, that's such a good example. Right. And that was what got me started on this this line of argument initially was seeing how many of the conversations about unfriending were focusing on political disagreement. And that seemed to me to be a bit of a red herring, you know, that what's going on when people have friends who who share different opinions, um, that looks like just one one piece of the puzzle. There's a lot more to do with tone and with quality of interactions and with the kinds of people we want to be and the kinds of people we want to share our lives with. Back to to Aristotle on, you know, who do we want included in our daily lives? And that all matters. And it matters for reasons that have nothing to do with whether or not you vote for the same person. 
Well, Alexis, we really appreciate your time here on the Matt Townsend Show. Her name is Alexis Elder, and she's the author of the book Friendship, Robots, and Social Media, False Friends and Second Selves. Just hit the stores. She's also a professor of philosophy at the University of Minnesota Duluth, and we've had a, a wonderful time speaking with her. When we return, we will continue the fun here on the Matt Townsend Show. remember the happy days going into Virgin Records or a Warehouse, the Warehouse, and picking up a new Weird Al CD. And uh, those days, it seems, may be coming to an end. Is that right, Terry? There was a report, uh, it looks like, yesterday in Billboard magazine that Best Buy was going to stop selling CDs. Wow, Just that's eliminate huge. them from their stores. Um. This is uh, mainly because of the rise of, you know, like Apple Music, Spotify, Pandora, streaming yeah. music services. People aren't buying CDs like they used to. It was interesting down here. It says um, what CDs came into the U.S. market in 1983. They, uh, they're they still more than three decades old. Yeah. They, uh, in 2000, year 2000, they sold $13.2 billion in CDs, which outpaced Hollywood's box office that year of $7.7 oh billion. Wow. That, of course, has dropped off drastically. When's the last time you bought a CD? Just ask yourself that question. Not as many people are going to the movies, side note, too. Well, yeah, but I think more people watch movies than That's, that is true. buy CDs. And also the stores that would were sort of based on selling CDs mm-hmm. have disappeared. Virgin Records, gone. Any of, the, any of those types of, of stores, you'll find a K. I just saw like even like a, like a Blockbuster that had VHS tapes. <laughs> the last one was open, I believe it was in Texas. Uh huh. And it closed. Oh. Finally. Just put it out of its misery. So the last time I bought a CD, it yeah. was at a Barnes & Noble who also pride themselves in selling these things that you open called books that people right. still use from time to time. That now, have also heard kind of things. gone the way of Barnes & Noble, I actually saw a thing in there. Target also is said to be uh, looking to – it says, Target denied news reports that it might be selling, quit selling CDs, but hinted at a statement that it's ex- exploring a way to make sales more cost-effective. Hmm. Whatever that means, because you can walk in there and they have a they have a you know the the shelves full the of CDs. CDs. Maybe keep them in the back instead of having them take up shelf space. Or... Maybe or just sell them online. Who knows? Right. But it says it's not a given that other retailers will follow suit and quit stocking music. A retailer like Barnes and Noble has uh, some customers who rely on the store to get traditional music in a CD format, removing them from the assortment or the assortment of products they sell could alienate that customer and mean they stop shopping there for other things like you know books. Yeah. But, you know, books. I mean, you, you get that other places, right? So even bookstores are going away. But if so. you're walking into a bookstore, you're the kind of person that still wants to hold a CD, too. That's a good they point. know their target demo. You can't ignore point. it. Yeah. So CDs may be disappearing. I will admit, I do still buy CDs, but I buy them on Amazon, and it's because I get the CD and the digital copy that comes with it for virtually the same price as just getting the CD or the MP3 album separately. Huh. Yes. So that you get the digital and then the coaster. So digital, when Sorry. we're when we're at home, <laughs> we can listen to it on our TV. Yeah, it's much more of a hassle to try to deal with the the Bluetooth and the digital copy in the car. So that's when we like to use the CD in the car. Ah, 
because we don't have a CD player in our house. I mean, we have a DVD player is and it, a computer, but... Is it odd that I owned my car for about six or seven months before I realized there was a CD player in it? Um, I was like, what is that? There's like this little notch underneath the stereo. I'm like, what is... Th- oh, I got a CD player. Wow, look at that. I think that that uh, speaks volumes about what your habits are in yeah. the car on a it's daily just, daily well, basis. I'm also used to the tape deck taking up a large well, portion of that center console. You can't miss that sucker. By the way, CD thing is smaller. I still... I have a tape deck in my car. There you go. And when I bought the car, I was super excited. Oh, a tape deck. Because wow. I can finally listen to these tapes that I've been wanting to listen to. Anyway, if you don't want to see those CDs go the way of the dodo, then get out there and keep buying them. When we return, we're going to do a little bit of empty news. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Cole, did you watch the Super Bowl? You bet I did. You didn't get upset by the outcome, did you? You didn't hurl anything at anybody that was in your vicinity? Not I. No, I was celebrating. Okay. All right. Well, there's a 60-year-old Florida woman who was injured by her boyfriend who threw a piece of furniture... Oh, uh, threw a piece of furniture at him during an argument about who would win the Super Bowl. Cheryl Merrill... What a great name, by the way, was arrested after the incident, which happened uh, 7 p.m. Sunday, just after kickoff. Merrill became enraged during the argument and threw a wooden shelf at her boyfriend of five years. The boyfriend had a swollen hand but refused medical treatment because of his hand injury. He was unable to sign an affidavit. Man, if Dr. Matt were here, he would have a field day with this story. Marriage counseling. See, I think he didn't go seek medical attention because he wasn't sure if the hospital would be – he wasn't sure if he could get a room with the Super Bowl on. I mean if – That's a good point. I would want to make sure I could see the ending, hand injury or all. I just – I wonder – I wonder if this relationship is going to make it. Sure. And I mean I just have so many questions that, that we don't even have time to answer. For instance, how does a 60-year-old woman hurl Hurl. a bookshelf, let alone pick it up? Right. My goodness. I think that that, um, it's the adrenaline thing and that the passion that you receive over sports can turn you into a superhero. Another thing it doesn't mention, which teams they were uh, arguing about or which teams they were rooting for. It seems like they might have been on opposite sides of it, and that's your root of the problem. Let's just settle down, enjoy the game, and uh, not, not make it personal. When we return, we'll continue the fun here on the Matt Townsend Show. The BBC News is up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt, who is away today. But uh, that's the good news is we've got Cole Wissinger here with us. Yay. Yes. And uh, it's exciting because today apparently is this this big day here at BYU. Thing. Something about signing. Cole, what is that you're wearing? Well, I'm wearing a hockey jersey. It doesn't oh, okay. have to do with football. But I figured I'd be sportsy for all okay. of the strangers that came into our building today. This is a big day for you, too. You're here, like, for 24 hours today, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's not as extensive as Media Day, and I'm just... 
a student guy, so I don't have to do really anything. Yeah. But yeah, BYU Radio and BYU TV will be doing a lot of stuff relating to the new signees, the new 18-year-olds that will be playing for BYU football so next we, season. Do we know the who they are? Most most of the types of folks that come to BYU have been committed quite early in the process, but it's still fun to make it official now that they're signing their thing. And this is happening all over the country. This isn't like a BYU-specific thing. National Signing Day is uh, oh, yeah. national. So this is, I mean, this is a tentative thing, because as we mentioned, a lot, we you have a unique... You always change your mind. Right. And it's unique here at BYU, because a lot of the... Well, I, I, don't know that any of these 18-year-olds will be playing right away. I think they'll do the mission thing first and then come back. And if they're still interested and available... large percentage of them. Yeah. There's, there's some that don't that just enter the program as a normal college student and go and through the process. And they don't make them go on a mission, right? No. Okay. It's not a requirement. Hmm. It's a choice. There's also a red shirt thing you can do if they're not totally ready to play as an 18-year-old. They can take a year off and still play for four years. They don't literally make you wear a red shirt, though, do they? I think they do. Just in practice really? when you're a quarterback. Always. That oh. has nothing to do with what he's talking about. You have to about. wear a red but shirt I mean, to class every single day. No, they, they don't. give you. They issue you seven red shirts that you wear every what day if of the you, week. What if you accidentally come in with a red shirt because somebody threw in the coloreds with the whites in the laundry? Well, then you need to learn how to do your laundry. That is a great Which point. a lot of 18-year-olds do need it, to do. It would be more pink. It's not really red. By the way... That is one of the funniest parts of the film Paddington 2. He's oh, yeah, tasked yeah. with doing the laundry, and a red sock ends up with all of their uh, prison uniforms. So they're all wearing these pink prison uniforms, and it's such a delightful little film. Yeah. Did you see it with your kid? I did. And? It was good. Terry? What? We're trying to crack this this hard shell. No, it was fine. It was just a movie. It's not like I'm going to... The cartoon bear movie for kids goes to prison? Is that what I just heard? Yeah, he does. Paddington <laughs> goes to prison. And Hugh Grant gets to play like 10 different characters. It's so funny. Anyway. And then there's like a show tune at the end, which, you know, I'm like, great. Oh, my goodness. Moving on. I kind of want to see this again. You just talking. Well, <laughs> Hey, you know, I, I, I've got a plan. So we're ending the show an hour early. Let's all hop in my Toyota Camry Solara with the tape deck. I'll put in a tape, and we'll go see Paddington 2 together. Uh, I already saw the movie. <laughs> we're wearing pink shirts anyway, so anyway. Okay. <laughs> so that's that's the most glowing review I think we've heard from you good. about a, a non-Marvel or Star Wars yeah, movie. It was all right. <laughs> I was impressed. No, I, I have a certain type of movie I like. Okay. All right. Our faces are all pink right now in the studio. Anyway, Terry, what else is going on around the rest of the country? The U.S. is set to announce the toughest and most aggressive economic sanctions against North Korea, Vice President Mike Pence declared Wednesday in Japan. He goes, we will continue to isolate North Korea until it abandons its nuclear and ballistic missile programs once and for all. Uh, Pence leading the U.S. delegation at the opening ceremonies of the Winter Olympics in South Korea. Uh, Ivanka will lead the delegation to the closing ceremonies that was announced. Okay. If you're interested in keeping score. Pence had a meeting with Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe on Wednesday. Odd that they are doing this right before the Olympics start. Yeah. The whole as... It seems that there are two different approaches to North Korea that are conflicting at the moment. South Korea and their mm -hmm. president, his last name is Moon... He is trying to uh, go with a softer approach, okay. make friends, and maybe we can help bridge a divide, bridge a disagreement, and negotiate. It's a good Whereas things. 
Pence is over there threatening more sanctions and we're not going to let the media tell a different story than we're not going to have some sort of PR campaign from North Korea to soften their image when it comes to the Olympics. Yeah, he's making it seem like, don't be fooled. Yeah. Don't be fooled. So it just seems a little odd that they're doing this right now. You could do it a couple weeks when the games are over. Maybe focus on the the peace element of the games and the friendship element. But now we're going to continue the fight. I don't know. We'll see what works. Um, There's also a competition element of the game. Well, that's true. They might get caught up in. We'll see. Uh, Other news. uh, North Korea's most glorious leader, as they call him occasionally, Kim Jong-un's sister, Kim Kim Yo-jong, that's his sister's name. Okay. So there's Kim Jong-un. He's the guy in charge. And then there's Kim Yo-jong. Okay. She will attend the Olympic ceremonies as the official delegation lead for North Korea. Interesting. She's so never... he's, he's not going to make an appearance. No. And she hasn't really been seen in public. Interesting. So she'll be out there. And other, you... other family members have been mysteriously murdered in airports. Does she even need the security detail then? or if Yeah, if no... probably. You don't, mm. They don't want her getting any outside ideas. Uh, other news. As Congress nears a budget deal to keep the government open to avoid another shutdown, President Trump told reporters that he would love to see a shutdown if Congress cannot get a deal on immigration done. He continues saying, we'll do a shutdown. And it's worthy. It's worth it for our country if we have to shut it down because the Democrats don't want safety and unrelated but still related, they don't want to take care of our military. Then shut it down. We'll go for another shutdown. Now, are so the, unrelated but related. These are, that's verbatim. I love it's, other people reading Trump's exact words. It's hard. It's difficult. Is he, so it seems to me, I'm going to go out on a limb here and, and, yeah. and say that it seems like he's maybe putting words into their mouths and... I don't know that the Democrats stood up and gave a speech and said, we don't care about safety. No, but it's just politics where Republicans believe this policy will lead to safety. Democrats don't want it, so Democrats don't want safety. Hmm. You just sort of roll this whole thing out. Circle the logic. Everything makes sense. So uh, these comments come as the government sets to run out of money on Thursday. Senator John McCain and Chris Coons are attempting to nail down a bipartisan immigration deal. White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders was focused, was forced to address and retract that claim uh, of the president wanting a shutdown during a press briefing only a few hours later. She says, we are not advocating for a shutdown. She was asked uh, about her boss's remarks, so she quickly pivoted to blaming the minority party in Congress. A shutdown would be the fault of the Democrats for not being willing to do their jobs. Hmm. So, so again, politics. are they not are they not doing their jobs? Yeah. Or are are people just not very good at their jobs just, of compromising? Just keeping you updated on what government is saying. Okay. And then why it doesn't make sense when they're trying to backtrack and it's just kind of fun white house chief of staff john kelly tuesday cast major doubt on president trump's uh will uh, if he will extend the march 5th deadline he gave congress to enact permanent legal protection for young undocumented immigrants even as lawmakers remain split over the fate of the so-called dreamers kelly told a small group of reporters on capitol hill i doubt very much trump can extend the self-imposed deadline uh unilaterally because the deferred action for childhood arrivals program was created by president obama in a way that current the current administration believes is against the law Mr. Obama established the program, and it was considered to be unconstitutional, not based on any law, Kelly said after leaving a meeting with Senate uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. So the extension, I'm not sure the president, this president, has the authority to extend it. Also in that that, uh, meeting, I believe he called some of the dreamers lazy. Huh. Because they didn't show up to sign up for the 
process to make them citizens. Well, I'm if they're not sure. dreamers, mm. they're asleep and dreaming. I guess. That's so a that's... great point, Cole. So yeah. his <laughs> his point on whether there was some uh, distinction between if President Obama could even pass that uh, executive order that he did was lost in the fact that he called people lazy. But it was, I mean, there's more to the lazy comment. I'm not going to get into it. We have rules here at BYU. But he said something and it was kind of offensive for people. Uh, Finally, the tsunami warning that buzzed the phones across the country Tuesday. Did you get a tsunami warning? Either of you see a tsunami warning? No. uh, From what I read, it mainly impacted the East Coast. Okay. So we had the, the, uh, the tsunami warning for Hawaii. Uh, that was a missile warning, if you remember. Okay, there was a missile. I'm getting all these mixed up. There's so many of these. So there was a missile, impending missile strike warning in Hawaii that was actually a, a rogue text that shouldn't have gone out. 38 minutes later, they walked it back. The guy who sent that believed it was a real situation, not a test that they were going through. Yeah. He's been fired because that's what you do in these situations. Um, uh, the National Weather Service blamed yesterday that the tsunami warning that went out to cell phones uh, it says across the country, it was, I read it was mostly isolated on the East Coast, at least one private sector company, uh, they bl- the National Weather Service blamed at least one private sector company for issuing the official tsunami warning text message when it was intended to be part of a monthly test. The agency also said it would investigate what happened. Many screenshots, uh, screenshots of the alerts were shared on social media. Uh, they came from the app AccuWeather. So if you had that app, you, maybe hmm. you saw it. Um, it said, uh, so it, it was a tsunami warning intended by the National Weather Service to be a test, but you know, they messed up. So yeah. there's, been, there's been three or four situations now where they're testing an emergency alert system and somebody sends out the real thing. Hmm. It seems like there needs to be some way to, I don't know, maybe maybe it's all on yeah. the same screen and they, there's two big buttons and they click the wrong one. I don't know. It, the process seems to have a flaw. And, yes. so, and they keep, at the same time, people are making the same mistake in different regions, but it still scares people, right? Oh, yeah. The Hawaii, the Hawaii missile scare had, there's video of a guy lifting a manhole cover and dropping his daughter down in the manhole and then covering her up thinking, this is it. They're wow. attacking. I've got to save my child. Wow. See, I don't know that I could take a tsunami warning here in Utah right. all that seriously. Yeah, you know, but you're on the coasts. You start moving. That's right? You true. leave your office. You run. Yeah. I mean, just uh, you may start making decisions based on this message, and then you find out, oh, just kidding, we messed up. Hmm. So then the next one comes, and it's real, and you go, ah, he's probably just messed up again. The app that cried wolf. There you go. I don't know. If I were on the coast, I think I would. At that point, it would just be like I'm just going to take every any and all warnings seriously. You know. It's like in it, it, these places where people's – there are these fire warnings mm-hmm. and people just decide, ah, I'm just going to sit it out. I'm, I'm right. going to ignore all of these government officials that are coming out and saying, drop what you're doing now and leave. I don't get that. But, you know, I also live in a place where none of this stuff is happening. You'll hear about them with the hurricanes in like Louisiana and Texas and places where they have – people have history of this. And you'll see they'll, they'll say, "Oh, it's going to be intense. It's a Category Three, Category Four, and they and, they, and it actually comes a, when it comes ashore, it's more like a one or a two. Yeah. So the people are like, "Oh, they're just overstating it," and so they stay. <sighs> and then people think they're nuts. And then you know, it, it, I mean, but you go off of your own experience. The government sure. was overreacting last time. But what is the harm in playing it safe? I don't know. 
There's no harm think, in playing. You got to sit in traffic. I think there's everyone else trying to play it. Safe. There's a certain level of hassle to move to get <laughs> moving out like that. But then there's also the why am I going to let them tell me what to do? It's it was such an inconvenience when I when I saved myself and then it turned out to not even be true. Would you really feel bad? Come on. You can watch Netflix or something while you're fleeing your home. Anyway, we can talk about something else now if you'd like. Final story I have. <laughs> Two Sydney, Australia adults have been taken into custody for stealing 47 Lego sets. <gasps> Are you serious? Yeah. So a woman, 28, she's been charged with three counts of theft. A man, 48, has been charged with four counts of theft. Both allegedly hit several toy stores the previous day and police arrested them at their home in a midnight raid. They raided someone's home over Lego sets. Wow. And these, these Lego sets didn't contain, like, illegal drugs no, or other goods that were smuggled Legos. into... Wow. But if you're a parent and you've ever tried to purchase a Lego set, you can get the smallest Lego set and it costs $50. It's insane. The price of these are so expensive. So just consider some of the Lego Star Wars sets uh, that they stole. Oh, yeah. The Star Wars Super Destroyer sells for $997. What? The Star Wars Death Star goes for more than $500, and one version of the Millennium Falcon goes for $800. The high price, wow. of course, isn't only for sets from a galaxy. From the Star Wars stuff, for instance, the Lego uh, Creator Town Hall sells for nearly $600. Lego has a NASA Apollo Saturn V set. It's a rocket. It sells for $140. So they sold, it uh, says there aren't only criminals, let's see, see uh, so five thieves, this is a different story in 2016, five thieves were busted for stealing $15,000 in Lego sets. Wow. 2014, several people were arrested for stealing a haul of Legos that were valued at a quarter of a million dollars. Now, why are we jumping to conclusions and assuming that maybe they're just going to resell these? Well, what if they're out for revenge and they want to strategically place them on somebody's floor so that in the middle of the night when they wake up to get a drink of water, right. that's how you get your enemies back. That's right. Legos. Go through a huge, complicated <laughs> plan of placing Legos. You're right. Either way, they stole things and they were arrested. But you start seeing prices of Legos and you're like, oh, I, I get why they're stealing because if you do resell them, yeah. you get it. You could sell it even for half the price. It's still a huge amount of money you could sell it for. Sheesh. And you had to pay nothing because you just stole it. That's a good point. So, don't steal Legos, people. Would you pay $1,000 on <laughs> one of those Star Wars sets? Not at all. Wow. Because the first thing is, Daddy, will you help me? Ugh, then I have to build Legos again. That's like Christmas Day. Now, hold on a second. I spent half my Christmas Day building Lego you, sets. You can't pretend like you're not excited to put together a Death Star of Legos. I would never do that. Come on. Well, the Death Star is just a sphere. I could build a sphere out of Legos, if but you... the Millennium Falcon with all its cool little satellite dishes on top and nooks yeah. and crannies. The Millennium and Falcon had a satellite dish? Yeah. I wonder like if a... they got DirecTV. No, they broke it off when they flew into the Death Star. And then they got a square one for the remake. One. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> Sorry. But, yeah, I have the, no idea what you're talking about. Oh, yeah, we know. They're overly complicated, <laughs> right? And so you, when I bought my, my son wants the ones that are like maybe two set, two levels up from where he should be at. Yeah. To, so then you do have to help him. And then I'm in there helping him build something, and then he doesn't use Legos like they should be used. He wants them to stay in that, that little toy that he can play with instead of breaking them all down and building whatever you want. Yeah. Right? So he's in there playing with whatever he's got, and he breaks it. 
And he's like, Dad, you got to come fix the wing. And I come in and snap it back on and put pieces back together. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just like, oh, I guess this looks right. And he just wants to play with the end result instead of break it all down, use all the pieces, and just make whatever you want. So you would be more of a master builder. He would be more like Emmett following the instructions. Okay. And so what we've turned to is we got him a big bucket of like 1,000 pieces. Oh, yeah. And it's just random. Does he play with those? Yeah, he sits down and makes whatever he goes. It's always a spaceship, but yeah, he makes spaceships. I would probably, (laughs) I would probably veer on the side of following the instructions. I mean, I do that with with things that I bake and cook, but I think I would do that with Legos too, just because I I can't make anything interesting to look at if I just go off of my own talent. The joy of the bucket of Legos is there's no instructions. It's like Uh, here's a bucket of pieces. Do what you want. I don't know. I enjoy being told what to do, I guess. The imagination doesn't have to come to fruition. You could have one plank piece and put another one cross T-wise, and you have a little plane, and you have the imagination in your head. But again, I'm just thinking, if I were to hand my parent something that I spent all this time on, followed the instructions, and it looks amazing, and they said, look, Daddy, I'd be like, wow, that's amazing. You kind of have to feign a little bit the uh, the amazement, the feeling of amazement when, you know, if you but hold up this thing. is it amazing thing... if you just follow the instructions and don't add your own personal pizzazz to the Lego set? I'm just, I'm not, again, I'm not saying anything about other children. I'm saying me personally, mm-hmm. what I would create based off of my own imagination would not be that impressive. Not to say I don't have an amazing imagination. I'm just not that artistic, I guess. Anyway, that's okay. That takes okay. all kinds, Jeff. I don't have to be right in this little conversation that we've been having, which is interesting because our next guest, Brett Williams, is going to be talking to us about being right or being wrong in your marriage. When we return, this is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt. You know, in any relationship, disagreements are bound to happen. Uh, And that includes here on the show sometimes. Cole and I don't always agree on, on the types of movies that we like or dislike. As the disagreement goes on, the focus of the disagreement often shifts from the problem to who's right and who's wrong. And those can be dangerous conversations. Here to talk to us today about healthy disagreements is Brett Williams. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist, and he's written several books, including You Can Be Right or You Can Be Married. It's a great title. Date Night Deck, 52 Date Night Ideas. I'm going to want to talk to you about that. Exelior and the Dragon. Exelior, that's relax, spelled backwards. Tool for the Fearful and Anxious Child. Uh, He also appears uh, on local and national broadcasts, including KSL News and the Fox News Network. And he's currently practicing with Addo Recovery in Linden, Utah. Brett, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, I am excited to be here. I am excited to have you, not just for the date ideas, not just for my own selfish reasons, but I think there's a lot here that that I could learn from as well, because so many times in our marriages and our, our relationships in general, there's this feeling of, I have to be right. I know, I know with 100% certainty that what you're saying is wrong, and I have to convey that to you. So what is the danger in doing that? Well, well, here's the 
I think the bummer. Can we use that word on show oh, you? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the trouble. 90% of the time, you are right. You are correct. Your spouse is doing XYZ. They're correct about you. You're doing XYZ. Yeah. But that's not the issue. The issue is what you feel and think is about you. And if you yeah. try to push that on the other person, what you do is you actually isolate them. Hmm. And, and you polarize into what I call the right fight. And it's interesting because I've been doing marriage counseling 25 years. I have never seen any other fight. In 25 years of, of marriage counseling, there's only one fight in the entire universe. Yeah. It's the right fight. Huh. You fight about kids. You fight about money. You fight about in-laws. You fight about whatever. But it always comes down to who's right and who's wrong. Right. And, and because you get there, you polarize. Yeah. You, you can't go any further. You're stuck. Yeah. And so we got to learn how to get out of the right fight. I I have noticed there are times when I've tried to put up a fight and realize, you know, I'm not going to win, win this mm-hmm. one. I'm just going to sit this one out. I had this argument over uh, over in and out Burger with my father-in-law. He's convinced that it's, uh, it's a franchise and no matter how much I try to convince him, it's not a franchise. If I ever get in an argument with my wife, it's usually over movies. And I'm the type of person where it's like, you don't argue with me over movies because I'm always going to be right, you know. But I'm I'm curious to know. These are obviously trivial matters, but there are some matters that are are much more important that aren't trivial that people deal with on a daily basis. When is it okay to fight or argue over a matter like this? Well, first off, let me take your side. Okay, my office has been in Newport Beach, California, forever, uh-huh. and that's where In and Out started. Yes, so I am with you that okay. it is not a franchise; <laughs> it is a family-owned business. Thank you. It's awesome. <laughs> One of my favorite restaurants. Yeah. But anyway, side note, side note. (laughs) So what I'm always teaching couples is to focus on uh, what's wrong, not who's wrong. Because Mm -hmm. issues are real. The issues are so real. They have to be talked about. They have to be addressed. It's the problem how we're addressing it. If I'm talking about good guys and bad guys, then then that's where we get stuck. Yeah. And, And you can't bend because I've put you in a position of being the bad guy. And, and there's really nowhere for you to go. You either have to say, yeah, I'm a loser, or, or, or the conversation goes anywhere. Yeah. But if we switch the conversation, if we change the conversation to um, what's wrong? Hey, my feelings are hurt. Hey, I feel disappointed. Hey, I feel frustrated. Hey, I feel sad. Hey, I feel unloved. It doesn't matter what you talk about. If you can talk about what's wrong, you can talk about anything, hmm. anything. But if you talk about who's wrong, you're stuck. You're frozen. The conversation goes nowhere. So love needs to play into these conversations that you're having. We're calling them conversations or arguments, I guess it could be. Yeah, I, I actually like the word confessions. Because Interesting. Okay. Confession uh, implies that I am telling you something about me. Yeah. I can't confess what you're doing. True. <laughs> I can accuse, but I can't <laughs> confess. So I need to confess to you, hey, Jeff, right now I'm feeling really kind of hurt. I'm really kind of feeling frustrated or disappointed. That's going to open a conversation. Yeah. What are you hurt about? What are you disappointed about? What are you frustrated about? There we can actually work with something because I'm confessing where I'm at. And yeah. there's no right or wrong to that. I'm That's just where I'm at. I'm hurt. I'm frustrated. Yeah. But if I say, you, you messed up, man. You blew it. Again, what are you going to go? Where are you going to go with that? So it's almost like you're you're slamming the door shut on the conversation before the conversation can even start. Right. When you do that. Right. Okay. Interesting. So is it all right? I think a lot of us go through life. We want everything to just be peachy 
And I'm guilty of this at times where I'll go home and I'll I'll notice that my wife's countenance is maybe, you know, she doesn't look as happy. And so I'll ask her, what's wrong? And often the time, oftentimes I'll get the response of, why does something happen? Why do I have to be happy 100% of the time? Is it okay for us to be unhappy with each other? Is it okay for us to be mad at one another occasionally? And is it okay for us to disagree? Yeah. Is it okay for you to have a different opinion or a different feeling? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. We think that we have to have these conversations because we have to come to a point of agreement. And that's actually not the point of a conversation. The point of a conversation is for us to connect. Yeah. And and I don't need you to see it my way, but that's where we get stuck. That's where we kind of get focused. It's like, well, you got you got to see it like this. This is this is the way it is. Yeah. And, and if you won't see it my way, then I feel like we're stuck because again, we're in the right fight. Yeah. But if the if the real point of a conversation is to connect, then we can talk about anything. Yeah. So how do we how do we get to that point where we can disagree? What's an appropriate way to disagree with one another so that we can do what you're talking about where we're focusing on what's wrong versus who's wrong. Right. Yeah. So the easiest way is is to make sure that you're really clear on who's the speaker and mm-hmm. who's the listener. Most of the time we have two speakers. And when we have two speakers, nobody's listening. Yeah. And so that makes it really awkward and weird. Um, so I may come to you and I, I may say, Jeff, hey, I uh, – I need to tell you something or I need to ask you something or I need to talk to you about something. Um, when I come to you, I want to make sure I'm presenting myself as the speaker and I need you just for a minute to go into the role of listener. Yeah. And if, if we can establish those two roles, I'm speaker, you're listener, then we can, we can talk through, we can walk through, we can deal with what we need to deal with. Yeah. Um, but we have to establish that. If we're both trying to speak over each other, yeah. You're right. It's not going to go anywhere. And, I, you know, I've experienced that, too, where my wife just says, I, I really just need you to listen to what I'm saying right now. And it works. Yeah. yeah. So, OK, now, how do we what are some things that we can do to respond constructively versus destructively? So let's say that my wife is she's saying, I need you to listen right now. And while she's saying something. In my mind, I'm just starting to get frustrated. Things are starting to to get heated without me saying anything. How do I respond calmly, confidently, and also constructively? That never happens to anybody. Is that, is that just you? <laughs> really? No. That happens to everybody. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when I'm teaching communication skills with couples, um, I, I define speaker skills and listener skills. And listener skills is a different set of skills. Uh, in listening skills, the number one thing you have to work on is empathy, which is I need to walk in the other person's shoes. I need to, for a minute, see if I can see their point of view. Is their point of view 100% wrong? Yes, it is. But <laughs> that's not the point. The point is yeah. I need to get in their shoes for a minute and see what they're seeing. Think about what they're thinking. Um, you don't have to agree. And couples so get stuck on that. They think they have to agree with each other. I, I can't hear what you're saying because I don't agree with what you're saying. Dude, listening has nothing to do with agreeing. Yeah. So that's a, that's a really important thing. Three other tips I usually give guys in particular. Okay. Yeah, yeah. this is where guys go wrong. Guys either want to apologize. They want to either fix and problem solve or they want to ask questions. Those hmm. three things are a conversation killer. They'll just end the conversation. You say you're upset and I go, oh, I'm sorry. 
Yeah, because you, you haven't heard me out. I, well, you're just, even if you're I hear you out, I, I just say, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's you're throwing a Band-Aid on it. You just want to – let's be done with this unpleasantness as quickly yeah, exactly. as possible. Yeah, exactly. Or yeah. I try to fix it. Well, what if you did this or what if you said that or blah, 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 blah. All three of those things are going to take you out of listening mode. And your job as, as the listener yeah. is to sit and get into their space. And, and if you do any of those three things, you're going to get out of that space. I feel like – I feel sometimes though it seems like if – if I don't uh, suggest some sort of solution or if I don't respond a certain way, I kind of feel like maybe my wife is going to think that I wasn't listening. You know what I mean? Like, or I don't care about what she's saying. How can, I, how can I express that I care about what she's saying without necessarily giving a response when she really all she wanted was for me to listen? Spoken again like a true man. Yes. <laughs> well, um, what she's really wanting to know is do you understand? The best way to show understanding, um, let me tell you again what not to do first. Okay. Um, don't do that active listening thing, that, that parrot back. What I hear you saying is blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, that doesn't show understanding. What shows understanding, if you can take what your spouse is saying – and deepen it. If you can take what they're saying and go even further than they are, oh, honey, you you really sound frustrated. This sounds like this sounds terrible. That sounds like you're really stuck, or or you're really agitated with the kids, or you're really bothered by your mother-in-law. For guys, our thinking is always, I gotta make this better. That's that's my thinking as a guy. How can I make this better? How can I make this better? Here's the tip for guys: make it worse. Really? Yeah, that is the tip. Take whatever they're saying and make it worse. Oh my gosh, honey, that's terrible. That's awful. I I can't believe you. Oh, really? That really that happened? Oh my gosh. Your job as a guy, make it worse because that's how she's going to feel like, oh, he's listening. Okay. He gets it. Okay. He he understands how upset I am. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's weird to think, but for a guy's point of view, we got to make it worse. Wow. Exactly. Okay. You know, I think if I, if I could speak for my wife, I think a, a massage would make a lot of these problems not seem so bad if I were to just, you know, let's just, let's just do a massage, honey. <laughs> right, which is the guy mentality of how do I fix this? How do I fix this? Yeah, how do I make yeah. this go away? I want to make this go away. I just mean she wouldn't say no to a massage. Is what, <laughs> well, she I'm wouldn't, saying. but your, again, your motive is yeah. how do I minimize this? How do I, yeah. how do I get her out of her upset? And, and that's really not your job as a guy. Your guy, your job as a guy is to let her be in her upset. It's almost like imagine there's poison inside of her. Yeah. And, and you are allowing that poison to drain out. If you shut the gates too early uh, because you wanted her to feel better, quote unquote, um, then what happens is the poison stays inside of her. And she feels like she can't get rid of it because now she's already tried to talk to you and you shut her down. Although admittedly, I don't give the world's best massages. So maybe that would make things worse by me giving her a massage. (laughs) Anyway, um, I'm curious to know because clearly we have these conversations and hopefully we can do them in a constructive manner where people's feelings aren't being hurt and, and things end up being better. But there are times when they just don't work and feelings are hurt and maybe they're not that's not expressed but maybe seeds are starting to be grown where 
we we uh, we put a card up our sleeve, so to speak, or we we put things in reserve so that when something comes up later on, we can say, well, what about this time when you did that and I was upset over this? And you know what I'm talking about, right? Holding things back Absolutely. to use yeah. to to pull out later as your your ace in the hole type of thing, you know? Yeah, and it get, it goes back to our right fight. You know, we're we're keeping score. Yeah, um, you know, we're we're remembering these three times where they did something wrong. So when they accuse us of doing one thing wrong, well, here's three times you did something wrong. Yeah, super constructive. No, not really, <laughs> not useful at all. But but again, that the goal isn't, and this is so important for us to understand. The goal isn't to agree. The goal isn't to work through your differences, it, it, see eye to eye. It, it's not going to happen. You're two different people. Our goal is to use those differences to connect. Yeah. I know that's bizarre thinking, but that's our goal is to use the pain, the hurt, the frustration somebody's feeling and connect to it. If I can connect to your pain or frustration without having to admit that I did anything wrong or anything, uh, if I can connect to your pain, then you feel loved. It doesn't matter. It happens again. It doesn't matter you know, that it wasn't resolved. We connected. That's the ultimate point. Is there some sort of gauge that we can use? Because we talked about trivial matters versus important matters, right? And sometimes maybe the the line between the two is a little blurry. How can we gauge, you know what, this is important. I need to stick up for myself. You know, obviously it's not In-N-Out Burger, but what's 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 a gauge that we can use to where we think, you know, this is this is an argument that's probably worth fleshing out and getting into. So let me give you a technique. Okay. Okay. It is called the two-hour conversation. Hmm. And here's how it works. The first hour, it's your turn, Jeff. You you need to talk about whatever you need to talk about, and I need to be a listener. Yeah. Now, it may take you only five minutes to get through whatever you need to talk about, mm-hmm. but that first hour is yours. Okay. Then an hour later, I come back and say, hey, can I, can I tell you about something? Can I talk to you about something? And I want to clearly establish that I'm now the speaker. You're now the listener. Yeah. And, and by taking a two-hour conversation, it slows things way down and actually allows both people to talk about both sides. Yeah. But not right on top of each other because that's when you get back into that right fight. Well, I feel this. Well, I feel this. Well, I feel this. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So wow. two-hour conversation. Two-hour conversation. Break it up. There's no statute of limitations. You you have your feelings and you have every right to your feelings. Yeah. Just don't put your feelings right on top of the other person's feelings because then the other person feels negated and feel like they weren't heard. Yeah. And if they're not heard, what does Stephen Covey always say? Um, no one cares how much you know unless they know how much you care. Hmm. You, they have to know that you care about their feelings. Then they'll care about yours. Yeah. But if they feel like you don't care about their feelings – you can have the greatest point in the world, Jeff. It won't matter. Yeah. It will not matter because you didn't listen to them. They're certainly not going to listen to you. So the two-hour conversation is really a helpful way to say, okay, I'm going to listen to you. Okay, I care and understand. Now I need you to listen to me. Yeah. This is so interesting because as we've been talking, I've, I've been thinking about the movie Inside Out. Hmm. And I, I think I relate more to Joy where I'm kind of like, yeah, everything's great. You know, oh, that's turn that frown upside down type of thing. And yeah, I think the the takeaway from that movie is it's okay to have these different feelings and they can exist sometimes at the same time. 
And it's interesting because that that can really be applied in marriage, too, that it's okay to have arguments. It's okay to be sad. There are going to be times when that's going to happen. And these that doesn't mean they can't turn into happiness. But, uh, yeah, it made me – this is making me think of the movie Inside Out. Uh, again, I love that movie. It's a great movie. Yeah. And, and the reason the, – the, I guess the bottom line was uh, Joy has always been trying to fix – yeah. Sadness. Mm-hmm. And sadness doesn't want to be fixed. And and finally, when she embraces sadness and says, you're my friend, you're part of our family. Ah, yeah, that, that's what creates resolution, not fixing the sadness, but accepting the sadness. Yeah, exactly. So just in closing here, Brett, I, I'm curious to know what would be the main takeaway if we could have one one thing that we can do today? What would you suggest for us? In any relationship that we have. Uh, probably the easiest thing to start with, if we're going to take all the principles we're learning today, mm-hmm. um, take a journal out. Whatever you're mad about, whatever you're hurt by, whatever you're upset by. And I don't, I don't think there really are trivial issues. I think trivial issues like leaving the milk out, not making the bed, those little things, yeah. actually have underlying cores oh, of, absolutely. of I don't feel loved, I don't feel appreciated. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know if there's trivial issues. But take whatever it is bothering you and write it out. And when you write it out, you'll be able to see, okay, where am I talking about what's wrong? Where am I talking about who's wrong? Every time you talk about who's wrong, cross that out of your journal writing. Okay. And then, and then take whatever you wrote and bring it to your partner and say, hey, can I talk to you about something? And then go through what's wrong, making sure you're leaving out who's wrong. Yeah. Great advice. Great advice. His name is Brett Williams. We've had a a wonderful conversation with him here on the Matt Townsend Show. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist and author of the book, You Can Be Right or You Can Be Married. I'd rather be married. (laughs) That's my opinion. Brett, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. When we return, we're going to continue the fun and the discussion here on the Matt Townsend Show. back to the Matt Townsend Show. We just finished speaking with Brett Williams, who uh, talked to us about, would you rather be right or would you rather be married? And this person would rather be married for sure. Um, But I could definitely work on uh, not having to be right all the time, especially when it comes to movies. I can just let it go. Well, it's generally because you're wrong, Jeff. Hey, hey now, hey. It was great to be validated with the in and out argument, though. And that's all we're all looking for is to be validated. (laughs) Terry, what is it that you wanted to talk to us about? Speaking of families. Yes. Marriages. Yes. And how that all works. I was like, mangle the microphone live on the air. Um, (laughs) So a Michigan couple. Uh Uh-huh. They have 13 sons. Wow. Yeah. They're expecting their 14th child. What? This is crazy. They're waiting. Child, what gender will it be? They don't know. They're going to wait. They kind of have a feeling. There's been a trend over the last decade and more. I guess. But, Is there enough uh, data for it really to be a trend? 13 sons, 13 <laughs> boys in a row. I don't know. It seems like you keep putting in the change and the soda comes out and it's the same soda every time, right? Sure. So why would that change? Would it change? That would be odd if it was a girl, though. 
So they're saying there it won't uh, be any sort of logistical challenge or financial burden to add another child to the mix because it's already probably pretty expensive. Unless it's a girl because then you got to go to a whole new wardrobe. Wouldn't that and- be terrible? You you have all this baby clothes and all the toys and oh, now we have a girl. So you got, that's a, I mean, I had to do it with one. Yeah. Right? Like I, I was trying to – I was looking at my wife like that's totally – that that could be a, for a boy or we're trying to look through my boy's clothes yeah. and judge whether a girl could wear them. And I'm like totally, oh, that, a girl could wear it. It's got a big football on the front of it. A girl could wear that. It's fine. <laughs> I, I'm purposely trying to find like brown and blue colors to yeah, dress her up at. neutral colors. Because she doesn't have hair yet. <laughs> right? Like the, the like hair to signify that she's a girl. So, so you still get the questions? Yeah. But I do, I do it on purpose. Girl. And my mom okay. my mom gets mad. She's like, put a bow in her hair. What are you doing? <laughs> I don't do bows. So we, well, she doesn't do it. You put a bow on her hair and she rips it off. She hates oh. having anything on her head. Um, so back to the story here. It says, if you have three, it's the same as having ten at this point, if you ask me, says the mother. Is that the same? That's interesting because I've heard that once the third one comes, that's when things go crazy. Because all of a sudden, they've out, they're outnumbering you so if you have three kids versus 10 kids it's all the same is that a i don't think i feel true that feel accurate now she's coming from a place of experience yes i i will admit i don't have that perspective she goes it's just more chaos more noise it's nothing we're not used to at this point uh they said their last few that like with their last few children the couple has decided against uh, learning the baby's sex before the birth I would love to have a girl, but I just don't think it's on the card. She says this will likely be their last child. Of course, they say they said that last time too. This so. will likely that that leaves the door open when you use those words. This is yeah. likely our last child. I don't know. So there, there comes a point where it's like you know it's a team effort to populate the planet. Yeah, trying to do it single handedly. Eh. So I have a friend who comes from a family of thirteen children. Man. His mom passed away, and his father remarried a woman with 13 children. Of course. So there are 26 kids. See, there were 26 kids in the same house They at already the same had time. a baker's dozen before they added to it with the years mine and ours, cheaper by the dozen style. Like, yes. That's 26. See, that they should have made a movie about that family. 26 kids. That's unrealistic. See, and my, my grandmother's father remarried or something, so there ends up being this split in the family where you join a family with like yeah. 13 kids. Yeah. Then all of a sudden there's all these connections where that's aunt so-and-so. You're like, who's she? And then you find out, oh, they're that other family. There's 13 of them, and then you're at this family reunion, and- I mean, honestly, you're related to nobody, right? Yeah. Because it was by by a marriage, and it's not. But everyone's considered family. But you're not quite sure who's connected, and so it's this whole group of people that I'm associated with, but I have no idea who they are. <laughs> but when I was a kid, you'd go to the family reunion, and my mom's trying to explain every person. Yeah. Because it's and at some point it just gets confusing. So you know, think about it before you take that plunge. Yeah. If there's like, you know, 15 kids on the other side of this marriage. And it's interesting because my next door neighbor has 11 kids. Wow. And uh, I hardly ever see him. I hardly ever hear from him either. It's it's crazy. They're, He's been be well inundated. Behaved. Yeah. I can't relate. I'm from a family of me and my mom and my dad. Wow. A family of me. And that is it. That sounds like a great show title. A family of me. Anyway, so yeah, they'll be expecting in April. At that point, probably another story telling us it was a girl. April. Okay, so there's no there's no way at this point that it's twins. No, they'd know. Yeah. 
or she would know. To go, for sure. <laughs> Either that or something has eight legs, right? Anyway, let's just circle back to women are amazing. I think we can all agree on that. And you're amazing if you are willing to have 13 children. Good for you. When we return, we're going to do some empty news. Cole's feeling a little lonely right now. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Cole, I don't know about you, but uh, I like ice cream. You are not alone. Oh, that's good. We can agree on that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sometimes you walk by the freezer section of the grocery store and you Every see... Every time I go grocery oh. shopping. <laughs> you see some flavors where it's like, not in a million years would I try that. Well, I'm pretty open to my ice cream. Okay. I, are you going to shock me here? That's well, let's see. Let's see. Uh, this ice cream has been called the world's most dangerous ice cream. Ooh. Has I, have I piqued your interest yet? You have. It's so hot, you have to sign a disclaimer to eat it. But it's ice cream. It's supposed to be cold. But anytime you have to sign a disclaimer, you got to admit, you're, you're a little worried. Uh, so let's see. It's in, uh, it's in uh, Glasgow, Scotland. It's called Del Diavolo, Breath of the Devil, and it's coming out for Valentine's Day. It's so hot that you have to sign a waiver. Can you believe that? I can now. Thank you. Wow. Um, I just realized we need to get to our hero story before we end the show here. As you know, we like to end each show with a hero story. There's a hero ferry worker who dived into freezing water to save a drowning man suffering from hypothermia. Deck officer Steve Chamberlain rescued the man off Portsmouth Harbor, uh, Portsmouth Harbor, Harbor in Hampshire, England, after the crew of a ferry spotted him in the water close to their vessel. And he is our hero of the day, Steve Chamberlain. Thank you for stepping in when, when it counted and when somebody needed your help. That's going to do it for the Matt Townsend Show today. Coming up next, BYU uh, Sports Nation and all the sports talk is going to be focusing on signing day. We'll be back tomorrow.